Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Let me ask you, how many of you think that you might have just ate too much this Thanksgiving? Raise your hand if you think you ate a little bit too much. Uh, I had plenty to eat. Has anybody ever seen that uh, refrigerator magnet that says, don't blame the holidays, you were fat before Thanksgiving? (laughs) Well, anyway, it's good to see you here. And uh, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through creation. You have clearly revealed yourself through all that you've made. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through our conscience. Just deep inside, we know that you're there. It's instinctive to believe in you. You made us that way. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you would help us to see Jesus this morning. To see how he stands alone, unique and different from anyone else who's ever lived on the face of this earth. Father, I pray that our convictions would be built deeper. That our faith would be strengthened and encouraged. We ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, would guide and direct and lead us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going through a series called, Can I Ask That? And this morning, we're concluding that series. And for the last several weeks, we've looked at questions that people often ask, such as, how do I really know that God exists? Or what about all the evil and all the suffering in the world? Last week, Chris addressed the question, why does God care who I sleep with? Do you know we broke all attendance records last week? As we looked at that, just kidding. (laughs) But this morning, we're going to look at the question, what about all the other religions? Don't they all lead to God? A recent survey revealed that now two out of three American adults now say that all religions are basically the same. doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere. But we all know you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And the fact is, not all religions are the same. While there are some similarities, the differences are vast. Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Jews don't believe that he rose from the dead. Hindus say that there are many gods. Muslims, Christian Jews say there's just one God. And Buddhists deny the existence of a personal God. So they can't all be right. Someone has to be wrong. And if we buy into the philosophy today that all religions lead to God, you know, all roads lead to heaven, like the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven, then we just said that all religions are wrong because they all say they're the right way. Now, I suppose someone could argue and say they're all wrong, but they can't all be right. Several weeks ago, I was talking to a student at Columbus State. And he came up to me and he said this. He said, there are over 9,000 religions in the world. What makes you think that Christianity is right and all the others are wrong? He says, what makes you think that your religion, Christianity, is better than all the others? You know, that's a good question. And that's the question I want us to think about this morning. So what makes our faith right? What makes Christianity better than all the other religions? The answer Jesus. 
There's no one like Jesus. Jesus makes Christianity better. Now, I realize in today's world, such a statement has never been more controversial. Never been more politically incorrect. I mean, to say that Jesus is the only way to God, that raises blood pressure, causes blood to boil. I mean, it's enough to cause the coexist bumper sticker on a Subaru to go up in flames. (laughs) But I believe Jesus makes Christianity better. Why? What makes Jesus better than Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or Krishna? Why should we put our faith in Jesus Christ? So this morning, I want us to look at that question. And I want us to see how Christianity stands alone, unique, among the thousands of other religions in the world today. Now, if I were to ask you, who is the most outstanding person in all of history? What would you say? Who would you say is the greatest leader of all time? Who's the greatest teacher of all time? Who's done the most good for mankind and lived the most holy life of anyone who's ever lived? Well, anyone who knows the facts would have to say it's Jesus Christ. There has never been anyone like Jesus, never has been and never will be. You know, it would be impossible to overstate the positive impact Jesus Christ has had on this world. If you trace his life and influence, you'll see that his message always brings great change in the lives of people. But not only in the lives of people, but in nations as well. Wherever the good news of Jesus has gone, the sacredness of marriage, women's rights, care for the poor and orphans have been acknowledged. Slavery has been abolished. And a whole multitude of other changes have been made for the good of mankind. Contemporary Historian Michael Grant said this. He said the most potent figure not only in the history of religion, but in world history as a whole is Jesus Christ. His life and teaching, they're beyond compare. Now, when we think of what Jesus taught, we realize that no one ever made the claims that Jesus did. In fact, he claimed to be the only way to heaven. He claimed to be the only way to God. In John 14, 6, he made one of the most famous statements uh, that he, uh, of all of his statements, was one of the most famous. It might be something that you have memorized. But he said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, without a doubt, this tops a list of difficult verses in the Bible, not because it's unclear, Oh, no, it's because it's very clear. Notice, uh, Jesus wasn't claiming to be a way among many paths that lead to God. Nor was he claiming to be the way for those who believe he is the way. No, Jesus said he's the way for everyone. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, this morning when you came into this church building, if you wanted to get into the building, you had to go through the door. And today when you leave and you go out in the parking lot, if you want to get into your car, you have to go through the door. And when you get home, if you want to get into your house, you've got to go through the door. Jesus said, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to go to heaven, you have to go through the door. And Jesus said, I am the door. Whoever comes through me, whoever enters through me will be saved. 
And then Jesus claimed to be the truth. Time after time after time, he said, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Very, very truly, I say unto you. Read through the New Testament. You'll see that he says this over and over and over. He claimed to be the embodiment of all truth. Did you know that toward the end of his life, Buddha made this remarkable statement? Buddha said, I am still searching for the truth. Buddha never claimed to know the truth or that he ever found the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And then Jesus said, I can give you life. He said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He said, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In John 5, 24, he said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Muhammad never made claims like that. Buddha never made claims like that. Confucius or Krishna never made claims like that. No other founder of a major religion ever linked someone's eternal destiny or their eternal well-being to their belief in that founder, but Jesus did. You know, he made so many amazing claims. In John chapter 5, he claimed that one day he would be the judge of all the world. And then he went on to say this. He said, don't be amazed at this. But a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear my voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Think of it. Who could say such things as that? To be the one who would judge every person who has ever lived. Well, you'd have to be without sin yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus claimed. He claimed to be without sin. He stood before the people of his time and he said, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He said, has any of you ever seen me do something wrong? Now, can you imagine that? A man 33 years of age, 33 years old, and he stands before the people that know him. He said, you ever seen me do something wrong? Well, if I stood up here and said, you ever seen me do something wrong? You know, my wife's here. She'd stand up and she said, I have. He's a sinner. You know, all of us are sinners. But Jesus never sinned. The Bible says he was tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin. There's not a trial or a testing or a temptation you've ever faced that Jesus hasn't faced before you. And he resisted every one of them, every one. But because he was tempted just as we are, he's able to come alongside of us and help us when we face temptation. But not only was Jesus without sin, he forgave sin. Jesus himself forgave sin. Now, no prophet ever did that. You may recall the time when a paralytic was brought to Jesus to be healed. And so many had gathered, so many people wanted to see Jesus. They gathered, there were so many in the house that there was no room left. It was standing room only. So you remember what they did? They went up on the roof and they made an opening in the roof. And four guys lowered the paralyzed man right down in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, the Bible says when he saw their faith, he said, Son, 
your sins are forgiven. Well, some of the religious leaders were there. And they began thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? That's blasphemy. I mean, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to tell the paralytic to take up your mat and walk? But to prove to you that I have authority on earth to forgive sins... He looks to the paralytic and he says, take up your mat and walk. And he walked out in front of everyone and everyone was amazed. But you know what? The religious leaders were right. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. But that's who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be the one and only, the unique, incarnate son of the living God. In John 14, 9, he said, if anyone has seen me, he's seen the Father. He told his disciples, look, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. And in John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. And then towards the end of John chapter 8, Jesus made this amazing statement. He told the Jewish religious leaders, he said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born... I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, to the Jews, this statement was about as subtle as a sledgehammer. The words I am are a reference to the most holy name for God found in the Old Testament. A name so sacred that no Jew would ever utter it out loud. The title I am is the name God used to identify himself to Moses when he appeared in the burning bush. Make no mistake. Jesus was claiming to be God, to be God in the flesh. But here's something else. By saying, before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus was also claiming pre-existence. He was claiming to exist before Abraham, was, uh, who lived 1,700 years before Christ. You know, in just a few weeks, people from all over the world will celebrate Christmas. We'll celebrate the birth of Christ. We'll remember that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. But the birth of Jesus was not his beginning. That's not when he began. That was his incarnation. That's when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, he has always existed. Before time began, Jesus existed. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. Think of it. Jesus created the world. And then Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. What did he mean? He said the Old Testament prophets all wrote about him. Centuries before Jesus came into the world, the Old Testament prophets wrote about his coming. They wrote that a Messiah was going to come. They predicted almost every detail of his life. They predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist. That he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and then the silver would be thrown into the temple and used to buy a potter's field. We're talking about precise uh, prophecies. 
They predicted that the soldiers would cast lots for his clothing during his crucifixion, and that his hands and his feet would be pierced, and that he'd be crucified with thieves. His crucifixion was graphically described in Isaiah 53 centuries before the Romans ever used it as a form of execution. And that's just a few of the many prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Only God could do that. How many prophecies did Muhammad fulfill? He didn't fulfill any. None. How about Buddha or Confucius? They didn't fulfill any prophecies. Now, you know, there will always be those who claim they can predict the future. Uh, in this new year, the tabloids will be filled with all kinds of predictions for the new years. You know, some people go to fortune tellers or psychics. I heard about this one woman. She was a single woman who was getting along in years, and she desperately longed to be married. And so she went to a psychic or a fortune teller, and she was told, this year, you're going to be proposed to by three men. She said, no, I'm not. I'm going to take the first one I get. But you know, we all know those prophecies are just, they're vague or most of them don't come true. But Bible prophecies always come true. Always. The Bible alone records hundreds of fulfilled prophecies that have been fulfilled down to the smallest detail. They're precise. They're exact. That's not true of any other religion. Jesus Christ claimed to be the one and only Son of God. He claimed to be God in the flesh, a claim no other religious leader ever made. But was He the Son of God? I mean, anyone could say that. Anyone could claim that. But Jesus backed that claim up with supernatural miracles. Think of the miracles Jesus did. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Think of his authority to do miracles. He had authority over sickness and disease. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. One man had been in his tomb for four days. And Jesus called him out by name and he came out of the tomb. Well, he had authority over demons. Time and time again, he confronted demons and cast them out. And you know, even the demons knew who he was. They knew he was the son of God. They acknowledged that. He had authority over nature. Remember one time he was in a boat with his disciples and a furious storm came up and the lightning was flashing, the thunder was roaring, the wind was blowing, the sea was raging. And the waves were sweeping into the boat. And the disciples were afraid and they said, Lord, we're going to drown. Save us, Lord. And Jesus stood up in the boat and he said, peace, be still. The lightning stopped flashing and the wind stopped blowing and the sea was completely calm. And the disciples were amazed and they said, who is this man? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Nature obeyed him. Why? Because he's the God of nature. He's the one who created nature. Those are his laws. They obey him. Then you remember another time the disciples were out on a stormy sea and Jesus came walking to them on the water. 
And they were terrified. They thought he was a ghost. But when they let him into the boat, everything once again got calm. And do you know what they did? Right there in that boat, they just bowed down and worshipped Jesus. They worshipped him. And Jesus received that worship. And he did on a number of occasions. No prophet ever did that. No great man or woman of God in the Bible ever received worship. Why? Because we're to worship the Lord our God and him only. How many miracles did Muhammad do? He didn't do any. What about Buddha or Confucius? They didn't do any miracles. You know, I've talked with a lot of Muslims about Jesus. And let me say this. I love them and I respect them. I do of people of all different religions and cultures. But I want them to know the truth about Jesus. And I've asked them, I said, what miracles did Muhammad do? And trying to find a miracle, they say, well, he gave us the Quran. But listen, the Quran's no miracle. I've read the Quran. It's not a miracle. And millions of people have written and published books. It's not a miracle. Well, then some have said Muhammad split the moon. Muhammad didn't split the moon. Of course, there was no one there to verify it. That's just a legend that arose centuries after his death. But the miracles Jesus did, they weren't just mere legends or myths. They were done in front of thousands of witnesses and recorded by men who saw them with their own eyes, who gave details of names, places, and times that have been confirmed by archaeology and shown to be historically accurate. Listen to what the Apostle John said, one of Jesus' closest disciples. In 1 John chapter 1, here's what the Apostle John said. And I'm going, to live it, I'm going to read it to you out of the Living Bible because I really think it captures it well. He said, Christ was alive when the world began, yet I myself have seen him with my own eyes and listened to him speak. I've touched him with my own hands. He is God's message of life. This one who is life from God has been shown to us, and we guarantee that we have seen him. I'm speaking of Christ, who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then was shown to us. Again, I say we are telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Jesus' miracles, they weren't myths or legends. They were recorded by trustworthy eyewitnesses. And not only that, we have numerous other sources outside Christianity that speak of his miracles, including the, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus. Jesus did miracles that backed up his claim. That's not true of any other religion that is outside of Christianity. And then think of the death he died. Did ever a man die like Jesus? The sun stopped shining, darkness covered the land, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And even the Roman centurion who was watching said, surely this is the Son of God. Have you ever wondered how other religious leaders died? Uh, You know, I've heard Tom Short talk about this. And I I just wanted to be sure. So I asked Siri because Siri knows everything. And I asked, how did Muhammad die? How did Buddha die? How did Krishna die? And my research confirmed everything I'd heard from Tom. But Muhammad was poisoned by a woman. 
Maybe that's what happens when you have too many wives. Islam allows you to have four wives. Muhammad must have had around a dozen. And I'm not saying this to cut on Muslims. I said before, I love and respect all people. But I do want to speak the truth. Buddha was poisoned by some pork. He got some food poisoning from eating some bad pork. Krishna was supposedly shot by arrows. A hunter mistook him for a deer and shot him with an arrow. It was a hunting accident. But the death of Jesus was no accident. He wasn't just a helpless victim. His life wasn't taken from him. He laid his life down voluntarily for you and for me because he loves us. He said in John chapter 10, he said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. He said, no one can take my life from me. I lay my life down voluntarily. He said, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. No one took his life from him. He wasn't just a martyr. He didn't just die for a cause. He died for you. He died for your sins. And my sins. Jesus never sinned. The Bible says, though, that he was made to be sin for us. You see, when he was hanging on that cross and bleeding and dying to pay the penalty for our sins, God took all of your sins and all of your sins and all of my sins and laid them on Jesus. He took our place. He took the judgment in hell that we deserve, took the punishment that we deserve. And you know, the Bible says that there was a crowd down below watching. And some of them were looking up at Jesus who was bleeding and dying there. And they were mocking and they were jeering. And they said, oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And they said, Jesus, if you're the son of God, come down now and we'll believe. Jesus, just do one more miracle, then we'll believe. Well, we all know he could have come down. He could have called the angels down to rescue him. But if he would have come down off the cross to save himself, he could have never saved you and me. So he loved us enough to stay on the cross. Was there ever such love as that? Has anyone ever loved you more than that? There is no greater love. And then they took him down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They buried him. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He's alive. He's alive today. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, when you think of all the other religions in the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's a game changer. You know, millions of Muslims go to Medina to see the tomb of Muhammad. Muhammad's buried there. He's dead. Buddha, dead. Krishna, dead. All the great political leaders, all the great popes that have lived in the past, dead. But you can go to Israel to visit Jesus' tomb. I've never been there. I'd love to go, but I hear you. Wait in line to see the tomb of Jesus. When you get there, there's nothing there. It's empty. I heard Tom say this too. He said, there's four historical facts. Jesus was born. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. 
And the disciples believed those facts. They saw it with their own eyes. And it was the resurrection that brought the disciples out of hiding to become as bold as lions. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went everywhere proclaiming that Jesus was alive from the dead, that he was the Messiah, the Savior, and that by repenting of sins and putting our faith and trust in him, we could have forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. You know, they were told to stop. They were whipped, they were beaten, they lived a life of hardship, they were threatened. They were told, you stop telling people Jesus raised from the dead, or we're going to kill you. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Most of them died horrible deaths, rather than to deny the fact that they'd seen Jesus alive from the dead. John Singleton Copley, recognized as one of the greatest legal minds in British history, said this. He said, I know pretty well what evidence is, and I tell you such evidence as that for the resurrection has never broken down yet. Now imagine this. Imagine you're walking down a road and you come to a fork, and one way leads to heaven and the other way leads to hell. But the problem is you don't know which road leads where. And then you notice two men. One's alive and the other one's dead. Which one would you ask for direction? Well, the answer is obvious. The living one, of course. As believers in Jesus Christ, we follow the living one. He's alive today. No other religion makes this claim. What makes Christianity better? What makes our faith better than all the others? It's true. Christianity is true. It's based on fact. Jesus Christ is a historical fact. His life and his work is a historical fact. His cross, his empty tomb, his resurrection are historical facts. Christianity didn't become true because we believe it. Oh no, we believe it because it's true. The facts precede our faith. You know, it's impossible to believe something into existence. To believe something, we have to have reasons to believe. Jesus gives us reasons to believe. And yet if we're to come to God, still we must come by faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We still have to come by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Did you know in reference to our salvation, faith in Jesus Christ is mentioned more than 200 times in the New Testament? But that makes sense. Because you see, we all have faith. We all have the ability to believe. God made us that way. He gave us a sixth sense. The ability to believe. Now, if God had said, pay your way into heaven, the poor would have been left out. If God had said, work your way to heaven, then many of the blind, the deaf, the sick, and the weak would have been left out. But God says, believe, believe in the Lord Jesus, and anyone can believe. And you know what? God has revealed the Savior. He's he's revealed Jesus to true seekers all over the world who have come to him in faith. He's revealed Jesus Christ to them. And then lastly, there's something else that makes Christianity different from every other religion. Grace. Grace. 
Every other religion in the world says you have to save yourself. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do, do, do. Or you have to give up this or you have to give up that. And then you just hope that maybe your good outweighs your bad. And then you just hope that maybe you'll make it to heaven. Just maybe. With all other religions, it's all about what you do. It's all on you. You know, when I think of religion, I think of it as being spelled D-O, do. Because it's about all the things people do to somehow win the favor of God. But when I think of Christianity, I think of it as being spelled D-O-N-E, done. Because it's not about all the things that we do. It's about what God has already done for us, that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. And it's just about us accepting that and receiving that and putting our faith in Christ. You see, Christianity says you have to be saved, but that you can't do it yourself. Christianity says you need a savior. You need Jesus. Of all the religions, all the religions in the world, Christianity is the only one that teaches that salvation is a gift from God. It's a gift. It's not something we must work for or earn by our good deeds. But it is a gift that we must receive. We must accept what Jesus did for us. We must receive him as our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Christianity says that forgiveness of sin, a relationship with God, going to heaven is a gift from God. A gift that Jesus bought and paid for with his own blood. You see, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. He shed his blood so we could be forgiven. Because between us and God stands a barrier called sin. And if we're going to be reconciled with a perfect, holy God, that barrier has to be dealt with. And we can't go around it and we can't go over it. Sin demands a payment. And Jesus made that payment on the cross. A payment that no other religious figure ever made. Only Jesus Only Jesus took care of the sin that separates us from God. People from all over the world, from different cultures, from different religions, have experienced the joy of knowing that their sins are forgiven. Knowing that they're going to heaven when they die because they've received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They know he's real. Not because of all the intellectual arguments, but because they've met him personally. Because he lives within their heart. And I want to ask you this morning, has that happened to you? Have you met him personally? Does Jesus live in your heart? Are you sure that your sins are forgiven? Are you sure that if you were to die today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? There may just be one or two people here. And maybe you're here this morning and you, you say, I, I, I can't say for sure I know my sins are forgiven. And I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not, but I'd like to know. I'd like to be sure. And you're asking, what do what I have to do? You have to repent of your sins. You have to admit to God you're a sinner and say, oh God, I'm sorry that I've sinned. And then be willing to turn from your sin. Notice I said willing because you can't do it on your own. You don't have the power to do it. 
But if you're willing, God will help you. And then by faith, you look to Jesus who loved you and died for you, died for your sins. And you ask him to come into your life, into your heart. And the Bible promises that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, how do I do that? You do it through prayer. I'm going to ask everyone right now, would you close your eyes, bow your heads. And maybe that's you this morning and you're here and and you can't say for sure, I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. So I'm going to ask you to pray just a simple prayer. But if it comes from your heart, God will hear it. And just pray right now. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. Would you help me to turn from sin? And I want to turn to you. Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. I believe you died for my sin, to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that you rose from the dead, and I want to accept what you did for me. I want you to come into my heart, into my life, and make me the person you want me to be. Just right now, pray that from your heart. And God says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has promised Now, Lord, for all the rest of the people here, so many know you and they've experienced the joy and peace of knowing you as Lord and Savior. You filled the emptiness in their life, given their life purpose and meaning and direction. And there's many here this morning can say, Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to me. Father, I would pray for all of us that you give us grace to proclaim that message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you embolden us with your Holy Spirit, fill us with power, that we might go out and share the greatest news the world has ever heard to a lost and dying world. Would you give us grace to do that? We ask you to do that in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.